I want you to turn your Bibles to Isaiah 61. It's so funny. I was thinking about the scripture a lot, and this is kind of a chapter that has been on my heart this year. You know, every year in January, I feel like God kind of gives me some personal chapters or verses and some church chapters or verses. And then this morning, a friend, a sweet friend texted me this, and I just kind of confirmed how I wanted to set up today. So um, turn to your Bibles, Isaiah 61. In the first verse, it says, the spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. I want you to know this, that I believe that God has anointed me to bring you some good news today. But I also want you to know that this chapter, as I read it to you this morning, is for you. That God has anointed you in this next season. Every member of the Pearl Church, young to old to everything in between, God has anointed you in this next season. Everything I read in this chapter, I want you to take hold of and say, that's me. That's not the leaders. That's not Pastor Doug and Donna or Pastor Seam and Lisa. That is me. This is my mantle for this year. The spirit of the Lord is on you. He has anointed you to bring good news to the poor. He has sent you to heal the brokenhearted. There is some broken people in our world around us. There is people that uh, our lives come in contact with, whether it be at work, at school. There's moms that I run into, and my heart breaks. There's broken people around us. We are to proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom to the prisoners, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is a year. I am believing this is a miracle year in the natural, and this is a miracle year in the spiritual We are to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Even in your own life, do you kind of feel yourself surrounded by some ashes, some remembrances of things that once were? God wants to exchange those ashes and bring beauty out of them. And guess what? God has called you to declare this to the world around you, that God takes ashes and he makes them beautiful so beautiful, festive instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. Isn't that awesome, ladies? He speaks to us here. Splendid clothes instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify him. You know, there's something about the planting, and we'll talk about it here in a bit, but something about the planting that glorifies God. God has called some of you to go deeper and plant yourself in the house of the Lord so that you can bring more glory. There's nothing more beautiful than a congregation of planted people, not tram plants and look out a congregation, everybody's sitting in pots, you know, just ready to go to the next church, just real quick exit, real quick entrance, doesn't matter, we all just switch. No, God has called it us to plant ourselves, to put our roots down in the house of God, and we will bear fruit. That's what God's called us. They will rebuild. This is you, verse 4. You will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will restore the former devastations. You will renew the ruined cities and devastations of many generations. I love that. Rebuild, restore, renew. This is what God has called us to do. God has this for our own lives, and God has called us and anointed us for this. Skip down, verse 6. But you will be called the Lord's priests. He's not talking to just Doug and I. You are carriers of God's presence. Do you know that? In the new covenant, you don't have to go through the pastor or the priest. You are carriers of the presence of God. You are priests. And uh, they will speak of you as ministers of God. 
Uh, Verse eight, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and injustice. I will faithfully reward and make an everlasting covenant or promise with you. Your descendants will be known among the nations and your posterity among the peoples. All who see you, I'm talking to you, Pearl Church, will recognize that you are a people the Lord has blessed. This is our chapter this year that people will come in and be like, whoo, this is a people that the Lord has blessed. His presence, his very presence is in this room. That means he has blessed us. His presence is here. I greatly rejoice in the Lord. I exult in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation, which is our eternal reward. Wrapped me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom. Where's the turban? For as the earth brings forth its growth, And as a garden enables what is sown to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. It's right here a picture of planting, sowing, and springing up and harvest. This morning my message is entitled, The Seed, the Soil, the Sowing, and the Measure. Growing more blessings than you need. Can you imagine growing more blessings than you need? Do you know that that's Bible? Of course, I twisted the words just a tiny little bit because it sounds better. But growing blessings, do you know that we have the ability to grow a blessing? A blessing not just for our own life, but a blessing for those around us. You know, God's been stirring in my heart that this is a time for us to sow. You know, it's springtime even in the natural. It's the time, though I did laugh because um, there was somebody in our neighborhood that just planted a bunch of things in front of their house, and it looked really pretty, and it was the week that we had like 65, 70 kind of degree weather, and then this last week when we had our blizzard, I see this poor guy, this is literally on my street, he has these big black like blanket kind of things, and he has built, I mean, it's just like small average little house, and he is like guarding (laughs) these plants with this like he has built these little wire things all around and you see him desperate just like trying to tuck them into the earth this black thing and keep them covered and one of them survived the storm but one of them did not at all and I was like I'm so sorry (laughs) but this is springtime where we sow well even that you know us as a pearl church we are three years old in our third like fourth year so three and a half years old and you know as we came here we had to find soil We had to just find where are we going to be? Where is God calling us to? Oh, it's Denver, Colorado. You found some soil. Then it's kind of tilling the soil, preparing. It's been preparing, 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 preparing the leadership team to hold the fish, preparing the structure, preparing the the hearts, preparing the way, preparing, preparing. You know, God has just been doing that to me so much, even in my own life, preparing, preparing, taking some stuff out that needed to go, working some softness where there was hardness. God, has been preparing, but we are in a season as a church, and I believe as individuals, where God is calling us to now begin to sow, to begin to sow into that ground. And you know, we're, we're believing for a building, and we're excited for this next season, but I want to say this to you. The building only represents the lives that are transformed in it. We don't really care about the building itself. It's the lives, it's the people that are going to get saved, healed, transformed, touched, and those lives that are going to go reproduce, heal, touch, transform some lives around them. Amen? So we're excited. Doug said this to me when I was like, you know, a couple weeks ago, we need a building, you know, and I'm, you know, 
just have my heart for the setup team and the teardown team. Of course, there's ministries we want to launch that we just can't do out of our house and out of the little warehouse either with one bathroom. There's things that just are not possible in our season. And so I cry out to the Lord, we need a building. Finally, Doug looks at me and goes, I want a church that is more excited about the church than about the building. More excited about the people, the transformation, the salvations, the lives that are going to be touched than the building. But we are into a season where we are going to begin to sow. Well, I think about a foundation even in and of itself. You can't see it, right? I mean, you can build a foundation. We were looking at a house uh, last week, and there was a crack all the way on the side of the foundation. Well, you don't really notice the foundation until something happens wrong in the house. You don't even see the foundation, and yet what's underneath later on will have an effect. Well, this last three years has been building a foundation, spreading wide the foundation, preparation, preparation, preparation. And now is a time where God is calling us to build. God is calling us to sow. God is calling us to dream big in this next season. Well, I think about growing things, just growth in itself. Do you know that growth is a sign of life? How do you know something's alive? How do you know something's organic? It's because it grows. You know, I've never seen a brick. You, know, you don't go up to a building and be like, that brick is just growing so nicely. Look at that. There's a, a whole new section on that brick. You don't like look up at a chair and, and it multiplies and all of a sudden you have two chairs. Wouldn't that be great when we're like going to need chairs to fit that building? But they don't just multiply. Why? Because they're dead. A sign of life itself is growth. It is literally part of nature. I've never seen a dead thing grow. And you know, sometimes we, I've heard people say, you know, that church is dead or this relationship is dead or that's dead or that's buried, that's gone, whatever. Why? Because you know, when people are talking about a church being dead, that building was already dead, right? The bricks were already dead. The cement was already dead. The chairs were already dead. There wasn't like, it's the people inside the church that they're talking about that there is, is, is a deadness in their spirit. Why? Because it's not growing. The church is the people. And I just feel so called from God myself, because I'm included in this people, to grow. To grow. I want to grow. I want to grow as a woman of God. I want to grow as a mother. I want to grow as a woman of faith. I want to grow in our finances so I can sow more, so I can seed more into the kingdom of God. I want to grow in every area of my life. That is a sign of life in me, growing. You know, I looked up the definition of life, and it just says the capacity for growth and reproduction. The capacity in me to grow, the capacity in me to reproduce myself. There's something that happens when we are alive. And I've been asking, Lord, in this season, grow us as individuals, grow us as a church. I want to see all of you reproduce yourselves and all of a sudden, there's two of you in that sense, two people with your faith, two people with your spirit of generosity, two people with your spirit of hospitality, two people with your smile that welcomes people into the house of God, that God would do a multiplication of what is going on right now. Well, life itself, anything organic, plant, animal, person, comes from a seed. It comes from something organic. And believe me, I'm not going to go into how all that begins because that would be really awkward. But anyways... But I was thinking everything starts with something that is, that is alive. 
that grows. You know, I love gardening, and uh, since we haven't had our own home for a while, it's been a little hard. The motivation's not quite as there, and of course, having children and planning a church itself has been what I've been gardening (laughs) for the last few years. But, you know, our first house, um, my husband, who doesn't necessarily even like to build anything like that, but out of love for me, he built me uh, four, uh, maybe about the size of one of these little sections, four garden boxes in our backyard. And they were kind of built up so that it had soil that wasn't filled with, you know, weeds or whatever, and that I could just go and just garden without having to bend over so far, right? So beautiful. Well, it's funny because, so I I planted, you know, vegetables. I planted a whole bunch of tomatoes because I love tomatoes. (laughs) So I planted every kind of tomatoes, the big Big heirloom tomatoes, little teeny, you know, hundred, sweet hundred or whatever they're called. Jalapenos for my husband. You know, we had lettuce growing. We had cucumbers, you know, everything you could imagine. Strawberries. And I would get so excited, but Doug would laugh at me because do you know that I would literally go out there like every day? Like I could have just, you know, on Monday brought in the strawberries in, brought in everything in that, you know, and I'm like, well, I just want to see what happened. Like it's been 24 hours. And I'd be like, oh, oh. Look at the tomato plant. It has another flower. <gasps> By next Monday, I will have another tomato. You know, and I would get so excited because life in itself is exciting. Growth brings a momentum and generates a momentum and an excitement that nothing else will. There is something exciting about growing. I will look at it every single day. Well, I want to grow like that. I want to grow as a person where year by year I can look back and say, okay, wow, God helped me grow in this area. I used to be a doubter. I used to be a worrier. I used to be fearful. I used to be insecure. Look how God has grown me. I used to be afraid to talk to my neighbors, and now I'm talking to my neighbors. I used to be, and and look back and see that God has grown us because that is exciting. You know, the scripture I'm going to read to you is often, um, associated with finances. And of course, it is very much to do with finances. And, and let's be real, it's going to take finances to do what God wants to do in the Pearl Church. But it's not just about finances. I want to read, turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to, uh, to 15. And it says, remember this, the person who plants a little will have a small harvest, but the person who plants a lot will have a big harvest. And the message version says it kind of a little bit more um, plainly for some of us. A stingy planter gets a stingy crop, and a lavish planter gets a lavish crop. Verse 7, each of you should give as you have decided in your heart to give. You should not be sad when you give, and you should not give because you feel forced to give. God loves the person who gives happily. In the message version, it says, God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. I love that. Verse 8, and God can give you more blessings than you need. More blessings. I'm going to say that again. More blessings than you need. Have you ever been in that state in your life? Where you have more blessings, where they are overflowing, it's more than you need. Do you know that God wants us to be that way? Because if we have more blessings than we need, it can spill over into someone else's lap. It can spill over till they're overflowing, and then that blessing gets spilled over to the person next to them. That's what God has called us to be. In the finances, but not just that. In love, in forgiveness, in life, in encouragement, in joy, in hope, in future. 
God wants us to have more blessings than we need. Then we will always have plenty of everything, enough to give to every good work. It is written in the scriptures, he gives freely to the poor. The things he does are right and will continue forever. Verse 10, God is the one who gives seed to the farmer and bread for food. He will give you all the seed you need and make it grow so there will be a great harvest from your goodness. He will make you rich in every way. It's not just talking about financially. It says in every way so that you can always give freely. And your giving through us will cause many to give thanks to God. How beautiful is that? This service you do not only helps the needs of God's people. It also brings many more thanks to God. It is proof of your faith. Many people will praise God because you obey the good news of Christ, the gospel you say that you believe, and because you freely share with them and with others, and when they pray, they will wish they could be with you because of the great grace. Everybody say great grace that God has given you. Thanks be to God for his gift that is too wonderful for words. God has given us such a great grace that needs to overflow. You know, we've been, Doug and I have been on a journey the last few years of even discovering what grace really, truly means in our lives. And I even will have to admit, shamedly, there's some messages I wish I could take back. Because if I look at them, they really promoted, in a way, they promoted works before grace. And, and there was kind of like, you know, you have aftertaste. Even in my own life, there was an aftertaste. Maybe I didn't even say it clearly, but there was an aftertaste of a little bit of, I can work my way to please God. And I want to say this, as I was even studying, and I was like, God's putting on my heart, sowing and reaping, I almost felt a tension inside me, say, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to works. I don't want to go back to what I do, what I do. And yet, as I read every scripture in the Bible this week on sowing and reaping, and then read some more, and read commentaries, It's in the New Testament, filled in Jesus' life, in Paul's life, after the death, burial, and resurrection of this grace. Sowing and reaping is a principle that God promotes. I can't get around it. But I read this scripture, and it really helped me, because Jesus talks about the parables of the talents, and then he talks about the loaves and the fishes. And you know what? Jesus, even in of himself, he sowed in his own life to reap everlasting life for all of us. He sowed, it said he was a seed that went into the ground and died, that there might be new life. But 1 Corinthians 3, 8 to 15 is such a beautiful passage, and it's where Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and even talks about them being slightly immature in their faith, which how embarrassing if forevermore you were like the pastor of that church that was like immature in their faith. But that's another message. But anyways, and he's talking about planting and watering, and he's like, Apollo's plants, and I water, but God brings the harvest. But here it says, uh, the one who plants and the one who waters are equal, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own label. So, so we do have a reward In our labor. So there is a reaping according to our our labor. For we are God's co workers. You know, when we just in modern day talk about co workers, that's people that you work together with for a common purpose, right? I mean, you might be the accountant, you might be the person who's in the warehouse, you might be the salesperson, but you're co workers all for the same company. You are in God's field, God's building. According to God's grace, 
Grace is that foundation that was given to me. As a skilled master builder, I have laid a foundation and another builds on it. But each one, listen to this, must be careful how he builds on it because no one can lay on any other foundation than what has been laid, and that is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious for the day will disclose it because it will be destroyed. The fire will test the quality of each man's work. If anyone's work that he built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost, but he will be saved. Yet it will be like an escape through fire. And it was kind of this picture for me where our salvation comes through grace. There is no other way to be saved. But here's this picture of this guy that's saved, and he even says, as if he escaped from a fire, basically with just his life. He escaped and he was saved. There is nothing that can change that for you. But it also says we must be wise builders so that the eternal things that we build will last for eternity. That there is a way that we can build where, guess what? We can go into heaven someday and have an inheritance We don't have to go in there and just kind of squeak past, made it in. So glad I made it in. And we, there will be a lot of people that God at the last second, they have a moment with Jesus. That's all it takes where they believe with faith that God's grace can cover them. But I don't know about you, but the more I read that, the more I was like, then that means that there is a way to have an eternal reward. There's a way I can live here on earth where I can go into heaven. You know, there's a picture that God brings me sometimes when I'm just praying with people, and that is, Lord, I want to go into heaven and there to be lives behind my life that represents because of a, a word I spoke to them of encouragement or I shared the gospel with them or I showed the love of Christ. My life impacted them eternally. I'm not going to take this house I'm even looking for. I can't take it into heaven. But I can take these lives that represent the time I sowed, the finances I sowed to ministries and and to people. I can take that into heaven. So this morning we're going to talk about the seed, the soil, the sower, and the measure. Number one, how does this harvest begin? Because I want to have an eternal reward in heaven. Starts with the seed. The DNA of the seed, of course, depends on where it came from. You know, I was kind of uh, Googling this week just about seeds, and it was pretty funny because I don't know if it's because, like, I'm in Colorado, but literally, don't try it, or you can if you want. If you type, on, type in, like, DNA of a seed, literally 99 out of every 100 websites will be on what? <laughs> the cannabis seed. <laughs> I'm like, we live in Colorado. Wow. I just want to know more about a seed. How does a seed work? What does a seed do? I got really, really interested in seeds, and it took a lot of work because you had to, you know, go around all of these websites that you like, oh, yeah, I finally found one. Oh, never mind. That's the attitude seed. There's a whole website about attitude seeds, and it's all about pot. But anyways... But I laughed because one website, you open it up, and big bold, it says, do not buy seed from, and then it listed a company. Because why? Where that seed originates is going to make a difference of what is in that seed. And, you know, we can get seed from lots of places, but God is the provider 
of the seed that we want to sow. Don't accept it from anywhere else. Don't accept that seed of bitterness that someone just tried to brush off their tree into your life. Don't accept it and take it in and say, okay, I'm going to take that seed and sow it. I'm going to to pick up that offense and sow that. Where is that seed coming from? It says that God supplies seed to the sower. We must go to God for the source of this seed. God will supply. Next is he will increase your store of seed. There's been times in our life where I've really wanted to give even in a financial way. And I was like, we're at the end. God, and we had to pray for the seed. We had to pray for the seed to sow. Not for ourselves. We had to pray for the seed to sow. And God is so faithful. One time we got a check in the mail that was like so random. I was like, that's a miracle right there. And we were praying for seed to sow. God will increase your store of seed. I am in a season, I am praying for increase, even financially increase that I can sow more into the kingdom of God, into ministries that some of you will lead, some of you will head up because it's in your heart. I am praying that God will increase all of our store of seed. The next is that the seed will bud and then flourish and then yield more seed. I love that in the fruit out of my life, there's seeds in that fruit. It's a never-ending, never-ending. We had a pastor, Pastor Jack, he said, how many apples are on the seed? And it's like impossible because that seed has produce another apple tree that has more seeds that, I mean, it's infinite. It could go on and on. Our lives have infinite potential of what God can do with our lives. Um, It will flourish. I love this. Isaiah 55, 9 to 11, it says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve for the purpose. I sent it. This morning, even as I was just going through my notes again, I just felt like that, that God's word is a seed in your life. It will not return void. It will not return void. That seed of God in your life is not just going to go away. But next point, D, the seed has to die first. In the very nature of a seed, if you plant that seed, that seed, its body has to go for a plant to come. It cannot stay a seed and grow a tree. It has to sacrifice its body for the tree to go. That's what Jesus did for us. He sacrificed his life. He gave of his body. 1 Corinthians 15, 36, it says, What you sow does not come to life unless it dies first. And I want to say this. There may be some dreams, some promises, some visions, some things in your life that you feel they're dead. And they appear dead. And even if you look at it, it's it's dead. That's never going to happen. It appears dead. I want to put some faith in you. God's word will not return void. There might be a season where it looks like it's dead. It's never going to happen. That's never going to be restored. This is never going to happen. But I want to speak faith into you. You believe. You believe God's word. It will not return void. Love that. Faith knows that God always performs what he promises. Where's your faith at this morning? Do you believe with all of your heart that in this seed, God's promise to you 
He will accomplish what he has promised. I was thinking about that song we, we sang a few weeks ago. It's not over. I love that. Till God says so. Now there's some things he might cut off. There may be some dreams I, I dreamed that he's like, whoop, no, no, not that. <laughs> but the dreams he puts into my heart and into my life, we can count on. It is not over till God says so. It doesn't matter what someone says. It doesn't matter what your own mind tells you, your own worries, your own fears. It is not over. God has a future. He has a plan for you. God has it. Number two, there's the soil. Now, there's a kind of heart soil that yields a harvest. We even come from the word, Adam is, is a word that comes from the word soil, the earth. We come from the soil, so it's very much intertwined kind of with who we are. And when the Bible talks about fertile soil, soil that's soil that can produce a harvest. That's soil that you can plant in it, and it produces a harvest. And of course, Mark 4, 15 to 20, we have the passage about all the different paths and the farmer, this is Jesus himself. He says, the seed that fell on the hard path represents those who hear the message, but Satan comes at once and takes it away. The rocky soil represents those that hear the message, receive it with joy, but like young plants in such soil, their roots don't go very deep. At first they get along fine, but they wilt as soon as they have problems or are persecuted because they believe the word. And the thorny ground represents those who hear and accept the good news, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares of life, the allure of wealth, and the desire for nice things, so no crop is produced. But the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's message and produce a huge harvest, 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as what has been planted. Now that's some good soil. That's some miracle grow soil where, you know, I, I've used it. I get more tomatoes. I got to be honest. I get healthier, bigger, better, nicer looking, better tasting tomatoes because I like tomatoes. Did I mention that today? I really like tomatoes so much so that I eat too many and I get sores in my mouth, but that's another story. <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to have to hold back, but just for a week. Okay. But that's some soil and we can have hearts that are such good soil that God can just barely just plant a seed and hundredfold, thirtyfold. But we have to have a condition in our heart that even this morning's message can plant a seed in your heart and it's good soil. So what condition is your heart soil in? We have to examine our own hearts at times. Number one is healthy, fertile soil soaks up the rain. And I want to ask you this question, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for the things of God? Are you saying, Lord, I want more of you in my life? Are you thirsty? Hebrews 6, 7, when the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. When the farmer, or when the ground soaks up the falling rain, we have to be living in a heart soil where we say, Lord, I'm thirsty for you. I'm hungry. God, I need your rain in my life. I need your word to just fall on me this morning. I need your Holy Spirit to come and water me. I need your presence. I need your presence to just be with me and let my heart be in that condition to soak up your spirit. Number two is your heart has to be soft and flexible. And, you know, it talks about in that scripture about that hard ground. If it's hard, it's, it might be because of hurts or wounds or bitterness that has allowed your heart soil to kind of become hard. It could be because there's like poison in your ground. There could be a substance. There could be, there's even studies on soil. And that was another whole 
rabbit trail of studying that I won't take you into because I'm weird. (laughs) I go on rabbit trails on the computer into weird things when I'm studying. But there can be toxins in your soil that harden the ground and make it not let water come in. There can be all different things that harden you. And, and sometimes, you know, we see the, the farmer who's God coming in with that plow, and we're like, oh, no, <laughs> not a chance, not today. <laughs> we're hard. Or do we say, Lord, plow up my ground. Take away any hardness. Take away any bitterness. Take away anything that displeases you, that makes my heart soil hard. And you see that plow, and you see that thing coming, and you're like, just lay down. Just do it. Go for it. Yep, that was way bad attitude. <laughs> Take it out. Let, let's deal with it. We have to be soft and flexible. Number three is we have to allow roots to go down. You know, it says about the rocky ground. Well, the problem with the rocky ground is that the roots couldn't go. There was too many rocks in the way and the roots could not go down. A healthy soil has to have not have rocks in the way, not have things that cause a planting It's when the planting happens and your roots go down that you will flourish, that you will have fruit, that other people can get shade from your tree. But so many times we as Christians, we want to just kind of have our roots kind of go around little rocks. That was like that whole hard situation. And we'll just, okay, I'll root around it. But you don't allow God to take out the rocks to take out those past hurts, those past experiences, those past thoughts, those past things in your life and allow God to really work at that soil so that roots, seed that is planted in your life can just go down where there's a responsiveness and God can plant you in the house of God. Number four is there's got to be level soil. It's really hard to plant things that are this way. And why? It's just gravity. You put water, and instead of the water going down into the soil to feed the roots, it just runs off. You have to have a level soil in your heart. And I was thinking about what does this represent, and I feel like there's things in our life that are too high. There's some pride sometimes in our life where we have some high ground that God needs to bring down. There's some pride, some things that, you know, Touch everything in my life, Lord, but do not touch that. That's mine. There's some things that are up here on high ground that God wants to bring down. And then there's some things in people's lives, some deep insecurities that God wants to speak into to bring up. Some things where you're like, I really can't be used by God. I'm really nothing. And some people are walking at that point where they need God to bring them up for our heart soil to be healthy place for things to grow. We've got to be level where God says, you know what, I can plant here. You know, I read this in a commentary. It's no wonder that the Bible writers, blessed with that fragile land, cite the condition of the soil as the best index of health or the erosion of the relationship between Israel and its God. And many writers in the Bible, soil, they talk about erosion, or it represents people's relationship to God. Number three, the sowing. You only harvest what you plant. Galatians 6, 7 to 10, it says, Do not be fooled. You cannot cheat God. People harvest only what they plant. If they plant to satisfy their sinful selves, their sinful selves will bring them ruin. But if they plant to please the Spirit, 
They will receive eternal life from the Spirit. We must not become tired of doing good. We will receive our harvest of eternal life at the right time if we do not give up. When we have the opportunity to help anyone, we should do it. But we should give special attention to those who are in the family of the believers. You know, in, and I'm a, I'm a teacher by nature, so just forgive me for those of you who think this is weird, but I, I got some seeds from my house. <laughs> and, you know, the sowing, it says, do not be, is one, one translation says, God is not mocked. And this one says, you know, do not be fooled. But hold on for a sec. I have grapefruit seed. I have an apple seed, and I have an orange seed in my hand. Do, do you know how, no matter how much I really, really, really want an apple, if I plant, plant this big one, this, this bad boy right here is a grapefruit seed, it will not produce an apple. I can look at it. I can wish it. I can pray over that seed, and I guess God can do miracles, of course. But... There is a principle that this seed is what I plant into the ground. It's not going to produce grapes or strawberries. As much as I love strawberries, it will not produce anything different than what is in the DNA of this seed. It is in the DNA. And we as Christians sometimes, we sow things. We sow things. We sow um, things to the flesh. And we wonder, why are we not reproducing a harvest of righteousness? Why am I so filled with anger? Why am I so filled with lust? Why am I so filled with this attitude and that? I want to ask you this question. What are you sowing in? Because do not be fooled. You cannot cheat God. You harvest only what you plant. And if we sow into the Spirit... We sow into our spirit the word of God. We sow into our spirit his presence. There is going to be a harvest of righteousness, a harvest of love. Because what does it say? The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And I'm so, thank you, long suffering. I always like to forget that one, so that's good. (laughs) That's not a fruit. (laughs) That's mean. No, just joking. Um, But the fruit of the Spirit, if we sow into the Spirit of our lives, we're going to produce fruit like that. If we sow in fear and we sow in anger, we wonder why we're reaping a harvest, a harvest of a life that is wrecked because of sin that goes. You know, I read this quote by Mark Driscoll. It says, the deception that sowing from the flesh does not cause a harvest of sin and death is commonly seen in the lives of people who are astonished when they awaken one day to see that sin has blossomed throughout their life. I thought that was so interesting. You know, even in Genesis, it talks about when he created the heavens and he created the earth and then he created the animals. Do you know when it gets into plants and animals and people and all that, it says created man to reproduce after its own kind, created fish to reproduce after its own kind, created all of these things, everything afterwards, in whatever translation you read it, it will say to reproduce after its own kind. And that right there, what God is saying is that whatever you sow is, whatever's in that seed is what's going to be reproduced. And we need God to help us to be sowers of good things, sowers of who he is, sow to the spirit. Here's some Bible examples of sowing and reaping. If we sow trouble, we reap trouble. Have you ever been called a troublemaker? 
I was, I had a bad year. It was third grade. <laughs> I was in detention every single day. And fifth grade. But that's another whole message, I guess. We sow in tears. This is kind of a weird one. So in tears and weeping, we reap songs of joy. And I always get puzzled by this. And yet in my own life, in times where there's true um, tears, where either God has broken something off of my life or God has taken me to a very deep place where I'm broken before God, whether it be for a circumstance or whether it be something that he's corrected in me, there's tears turning into joy. I see that in the lives of my own children when we administer discipline to our children. There's tears, but the joy and the beauty that comes after is so wonderful. We sow in fields and plant vineyards. That's just like a a practical thing. When we yield a fruitful harvest, we sow righteousness and we reap a sure reward. We sow injustice and we reap calamity. We sow the wind and we reap a whirlwind. Sow righteousness and reap fruit of unfailing love. We sow spiritual seed and we reap a material harvest. That one's in 1 Corinthians 9 11. Thought that was so interesting. You can sow in spiritual seed, it says, and reap a material harvest. We sow in a natural body and we reap a spiritual body. We sow to please the flesh and we reap destruction. We sow to please the spirit, we reap eternal life. We sow in peace, it says, and we reap a harvest of righteousness. We sow in forgiveness, and we are forgiven. And there's many more. But I just it was so interesting. Throughout the whole Bible, there's all these scriptures on things that we sow in and what is, what is weep. I think about this is you kind of sow in an action in your life, and you reap a condition. For instance, if you sow in worry every day, and you just wake up and you worry all the way to work, what you're going to reap is a condition of anxiety, right? You don't sow in anxiety in, in that sense. You sow in worry day after day after day after day, morning and night, and you're going to reap a condition, which is anxiety. You sow in doubt. You know, I doubt that's going to work. You just sow to seed. Beware. Rip it out quick. I doubt blah, blah, blah. I doubt they're ever going to come say Sorry. I doubt that that's ever going to turn around. I doubt my boss is ever going to give me a promotion. I doubt, I doubt. You sow in doubt daily as seeds, and you reap fear. You sow in gossip. This is interesting. I started thinking about this. If you sow in gossip about people, you're going to reap insecurity. Because all of a sudden, you're going to wonder what people are saying about you behind closed doors. You sow in things, and you're going to reap something. You sow in unforgiveness, and you're going to reap. Guess what you're going to reap? Not just unforgiveness, you're going to reap bitterness. It's a condition. You're going to reap something so hard that it's very hard to penetrate. But if you sow in love, you're going to reap fulfillment because perfect love will lead to just, I love that. It's just contentment. I just, I love things that are happening in your life. I'm so happy for you. And it causes a fulfillment in your own life. You sow in forgiveness. This is beautiful. You reap freedom. The only thing that that situation has caught you in is if you don't forgive it. If you forgive it, you're free. It can't harm you anymore. Sow in trust and you reap contentment. So my question for you this morning is what are you sowing? What spiritual seed are you sowing? If you reproduced after your own kind, what kind of harvest would that be? What kind of people would we see walking around if you reproduced exactly after your own kind? And I want to say this, I, I was thinking in terms of just people, Romans 10, 14, it says, how can they call on him whom they have not believed? And how can they believe 
without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how welcome are the feet, minus the feet. There's another translation that's better that says, how welcome are the people who announce the gospel of good things? Um, But think about this. Do you realize that if we go back, who are you sowing into to tell about Jesus? If the only people that ever showed up to the Pearl Church or any church was because you invited them, what seed have you planted? What neighbor have you talked to? What coworker have you said, hey, can I pray for you? What person have you seeded God's love? It might be simple as you gave them during the Thanksgiving boxes. You gave your neighbor a Thanksgiving box and just said you love them. God bless you. But you sowing seeds that are kingdom seeds into people's life. I want to say this. Last week I was kind of reminded about this when Pastor Ben spoke, which was an awesome message. Um, but there was people that sent us here for you. There was Ben who sewed in $1,000 before we'd even, he was the very first, we'd not got anything. There's equipment that is here. There is sound. There is people. There is Doug and I who quit our job that are here. People sewed into us, and that represents the lives. There's been people that have given their life to Jesus in the Pearl Church, and many did not know Christ. There's neighbors that, um, not even at our church right now, but they have absolutely been touched by gospel. I actually ran into one this week. I hadn't seen him for a while, and it was just so interesting. He just, like, lights up because he had gotten touched by God so much just by our conversations. Doug and I, we had dinner over there, our neighbors. And it, it's like our lives are that. They are sowing seed. It doesn't matter who's sowing and who's watering and who's doing, but we have to be ones that are sowing seed into people's lives. And now as a church, let me ask you a question. Are you willing to sow into the future lives that are going to be in the Pearl Church? You represent the seed that was sent to us But now we as a church link arm in arm. I'm not just talking about finances. Of course, that will be included. Are we willing to sow into the people that are not yet here, that have not yet heard the gospel? Are you willing to be that one that when he says, how can they know without hearing? That's you. Number four is the measure. Reaping a measured harvest. Do you know that your harvest will be in direct proportion to your sowing? This is Bible, Luke 6, 37. Judge not, you shall not be judged. Condemn not, you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with what the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And here's where the teacher part comes out in me. But it's just, um, you know, bear with me. I'm not a cook at all, but I do cook. There's a big difference. (laughs) My husband's the cook, but I do know what some measurements are, right? What this scripture says is the same measure that you use is what will be poured back into you. Now, just to help us illustrate, this is a tablespoon, right? Say after church, my son came up to me and was like, I'm starved, which is every single, positively, every single Sunday. We get into the car, where are we going to eat? What's for lunch? Well, what if I said to him, here you go, bud. (laughs) Cheerios. Someone called him this morning. These are donut seeds. If you plant them, they will produce donuts. (laughs) But, jazzy. (laughs) But can you imagine how Kai would be so disappointed if I was like, here you go. 
table. Come on. Isn't it lovely? That'll fill you up for like 30 seconds. But this is the measure that is used. And sometimes we go about in our lives and we're like, this is how much forgiveness we're going to give out because they don't deserve any more than that. This is how much love I'm going to give out because, well, nope, not worth it. Don't want to be hurt again. This is how much um, time I'm going to give out because it's my life. This is how much virtue I'm going to pour out for you because you're kind of taking a little bit too much from me. So I want to say to you, when someone gives you a tablespoon back, you'll know why. When someone gives you a tablespoon of love and forgiveness and time and virtue and even money back, you'll know why. Because what it says is the same measure that you use will be measured back to you. And then, of course, you got the, you know, the cup. Hold on. I'm going to make a mess. Ah. Microphone and water sitting right next to it. No problem. And then visually, we have now a cup. See, because I know these measurements from cooking. Um, But this is a cup. We have some Christians that go around, and they will give you a cup of forgiveness. They'll give you a cup of finances. They'll give you a cup of love, a cup of grace. And, And we're, but this is exactly, it says, for the same measure that you use, that's what's going to be poured back into you. I really want to go through all these, but I don't have time. And then you have like a two-cupper. Awesome. This person is going to get this much poured back to him. Then you got a four-cupper. These are for like when I multiply my recipes times, which is very often in my house. A four-cupper. But do you see this? This is scripture. It uses the word measure for a reason because our minds can wrap around that. Whatever measure you use as you're sowing. You know, if if a farmer had a whole field and he sowed corn into like this much of it, how much corn would he get? This much of it. That's the corn he's going to get. We are in a season, church, I feel it so strong in my spirit. We are in a sowing season. We are going into spring. We want to reap a harvest. I'm getting goosebumps. We want to reap a harvest of lives, salvation. I want to see salvation, eternal reward. But it's going to take everything. It's going to take you reproducing yourself. It's going to be you sharing your faith. It's going to be you going out and reaching out to that neighbor across the street. It's going to be you inviting people to church. It's going to be you sowing in your finances and saying, God, I'm going to sow this in because it represents a life. It represents a soul. It represents that building that's going to have ministries in it. It represents that life. I'm sewing in, not because I'm twisted my arm. Someone twisted my arm to do it because in my heart, I want this principle working. I will want to say to you, we have been blessed, Doug and I, immeasurably with people pouring into us, people pouring into the Pearl Church, people you don't even know, pouring into our lives personally over the last four years. It's humbling, but it is time now for us to dish it out. We are in this together. You are the life-giving. You are the reproducing members of the church that now it is your turn. It is your turn to sow the seed for 10 years from now. That church that is going to have a ministry to foster kids, that church that is going to have ministries that lead out outreaches that go and, and bring the good news to people, that church that we are building 
is you. It's the lives that you represent. It's your heart. It's your life that represents God, which is growth, personal 